0: Hello, I'm Cheryl, and this is Sleep Tight Relax, a bedtime podcast for the young and young at heart.
1: If you haven't
0: already, be sure to subscribe to Sleep Tight Relax on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, If you have a moment, please consider leaving a review. Your review might help introduce others to our podcast. Thank you. Our sleep story is Chapter 10 of The Boxcar Children. In this chapter... Benny is still working on his reading and can't wait to show Henry in the evening. Henry overhears the doctor talking with a man about ginseng, and when he sees the plant, knows that there is a lot of it around the boxcar. He finds out that it is worth money, and he and the girls dig it up, and Henry takes it to town to sell. He buys Benny new socks with some of the money, and this leads to something else that Benny wants, something that got left behind when they quickly left the baker's wife's house. Let's see what it could be. But before we continue with our story, let's start by breathing together. We can practice our deep breathing anytime or anywhere. But before bed, let's first turn down the lights, get comfortable, and make sure that everything feels as it should. We are going to do a series of deep, slow breaths. When you breathe in, be sure to breathe through your nose. And when you breathe out, try to push all the air out of your lungs. We often talk about taking belly breaths or filling your belly up like a balloon. If that helps you visualize the kind of breath to take, then please try. You can use whatever works for you. Now, inhale slowly through your nose and count to four in your head, filling your lungs with more air with each number. Hold your breath and count to four in your head. Slowly exhale through your mouth, focusing on getting all the air out of your lungs. Take your time and focus on slow, controlled, deep breaths. breathe in two three four hold two three four breathe out two three four breathe in two three four hold two three, four, breathe out, two, three, four. Perfect. You can continue to practice your deep breathing as we continue with Boxcar Children, Chapter 10. During all this experiment, Jess had not forgotten her dinner. When you are living outdoors all the time, you do not forget things like that. In fact, both girls had learned to tell the time very accurately by the sun. Jess started up a beautiful little fire of cones. As they turned into red-hot ashes, and began to topple over one by one into the glowing pile, Jess laughed delicately. She had already scrubbed the smooth potatoes and dried them carefully. She now poked them one by one into the glowing ashes with a stick from a birch tree. Whenever a potato lit up dangerously, she gave it a poke into a new position. And when Henry found her, she was just rolling the charred balls out onto the flat stones. Burned em up, asked Henry. Burned nothing, cried Jess energetically. You just wait. Can't wait, smiled Henry. You said that a long time ago, said Benny. Well, isn't it true? Demanded Henry, rolling his brother over on the pine needles. Come, said Violet breathlessly, forgetting to ring the bell. Hold them with leaves, directed Jess, because they're terribly hot. Knock them on the side and scoop them out with a spoon and put butter on top. The children did as the little cook requested sprinkled on a little salt from the salt shaker and took a taste ah said Henry it's good said Benny blissfully it was about the most successful meal of all in fact when the children in later years recalled their different feasts they always came back to the baked potatoes Roasted in the ashes of the pine cones. Henry said it was because they were poked with a black birch stick. Benny said it was because Jess nearly burned them up. Jess herself said maybe it was the remarkable salt shaker, which had to stand on its head always, because there was no floor to it. After supper the children still were not too sleepy to show Henry the new reading book and allow Benny to display his first reading lesson. Henry, greatly taken with the idea, sat up until it was almost dark, chipping out the remaining letters of the alphabet. What Dr. McAllister ever did before Henry began to work for him would be hard to guess. There were certainly as many duties always waiting for him as he had time to do. It made no difference to Henry what the job was. Nothing was too hard or too dirty for him to attempt. One day, the doctor set him the task of clearing out his little laboratory. The boy washed bottles, pasted labels, and cleaned instruments for one whole morning. And more than one broken flask on its way to the rubbish heap was carefully carried up the hill to the hidden family. While Henry was busy carefully lettering a sticky label, he noticed a young man in the outer office who was talking with the doctor. "'Can you tell me if this is real ginseng?' Henry heard him say. "'It certainly is,' returned Dr. McAllister. "'They will give you two dollars a pound for the root at any of the drugstores.' Henry ventured to steal a peek and found he could readily see the plant the man was holding.' It was about a foot high with branching leaves and a fine feathery white flower. Henry knew it was exactly the same white puffball that he had noticed in Violet's vase that very morning. When the young man had gone, Henry said, I know where I can find a whole lot of that plant. Is that so? replied the doctor kindly it's only the root you know that is valuable but anyone who wants the bother of digging it up can sell any quantity of that when henry went home at noon he related enough of this incident to set his sisters to work in good earnest They started out with both knives and two strong iron spoons and the kettle. And with Benny to run about finding every white flower he could, the girls succeeded with a great deal of hard digging in finding enormous quantities of ginseng root. In fact, that first afternoon's work resulted in a kettle full not counting a single leaf or stem. Henry was delighted when he saw the result of their work and took it the next day to the largest drugstore where he received $3 for the roots. Without any hesitation, Henry paid a visit to the dry goods store and came home with a pair of new brown socks for Benny. That was a great day in the woods. Benny gave them no peace at all until they had all admired his wonderful new socks. There had been one other thing that Benny had given them no peace about. On the night when the children had crept so quietly away from the baker's wife, Jess had forgotten to take Benny's bear. This bear was a poor-looking creature, which had once been an expensive, bright-eyed teddy bear made of brown plush. But Benny had taken it to bed every single night for three years, and had loved it by day so that it was not attractive to anyone but himself. Both eyes were gone and its body was limp, but Benny had certainly suffered a great deal trying to sleep in a strange bed without his beloved bear. Jess, therefore, had plans on foot the moment she saw Benny's new socks. She washed the old brown socks with their many neat darns and hung them up to dry. And early in the afternoon, she and Violet sat with the work bag between them, each with a sock. With Benny sitting by to watch proceedings, Jess mapped out a remarkable teddy bear. One sock, carefully trimmed, made the head and body, while the other furnished material for two arms, two legs, and the stuffing. Jess worked hard over the head, pushing the padding well into the blunt nose. Violet embroidered two beautiful eyes in black and white and a jet black nose tip. You must make a tail, too, Jessie," said Benny, watching her snip the brown rags. Bears don't have tails, Benny, argued Jess, although she wasn't exactly sure she was right. Your old bear didn't have any tail, you know. But this bear has a tail, though, returned Benny, knowing that Jess would put on two tails if he insisted. And it was true. His bear finally did have a tail. What kind of tail? Asked Jess helplessly at last. Bushy, long and slim, or cottontail? Hmm, long and slim, decided Benny with great satisfaction. So I can pull it. Benny, cried Jess laughing in spite of herself, but she made a tail long and slim, exactly as Benny ordered, and sewed it on very tightly, so that it might be pulled if desired. She fastened on the legs and arms with flat hinges, so the bear might sit down easily, and added at last a pair of cunning, flappy ears and a great collar of braided red string from a bundle. What's his name, Jesse? inquired Benny, when the wonderful bear was finally handed over to him. His name? repeated Jess. Well, you know he's a new bear. He isn't your old one. So, I wouldn't call him Teddy. Oh, no! said Benny shocked this is not Teddy this one has a pretty tail of course agreed Jess trying not to laugh well you know we sold that ginseng to pay for your new socks and if you hadn't had your new ones we couldn't have made this bear out of your old ones you want his name to be socks asked Benny politely Socks? No, answered Jess. I was thinking of ginseng. Ginseng, echoed Benny, thinking deeply. That's a nice name. All right, I think ginseng will be a good bear if Wachi doesn't bark at him. And from that moment, the bear's name was ginseng, as long as he lived and he lived to be a very old bear indeed. The days went merrily by for the freight car family. Hardly a day passed, however, without some exciting adventure. Mrs. McAllister, finding out in some way that Violet was a clever seamstress, sent home fine linen handkerchiefs for her to hem. Each one had a tiny colored rose in the corner, and Violet was delighted with the dainty work. She sat sewing daily by the swimming pool while Benny sailed wonderful boats of chips and waded around to his heart's content. The freight car pantry now held marvelous dishes rescued from the dump. Such rarities as a regular bread knife a blue and gold soap dish, and half of a real cut glass bowl. Henry proudly deposited $31 in the savings bank under the name of Henry James and worked eagerly for his kind friend, who never asked him any more embarrassing questions. Benny actually learned to read fairly well, The girls occupied their time making balsam pillows for the four beds and trying to devise wonderful meals out of very little material. Violet kept a different bouquet daily in the little vase. She had a perfect genius for arranging three purple irises to look like a picture, or a single wood lily with its leaves like a Japanese print. Each day, the children enjoyed a cooked dinner, filling in the chinks with perfect satisfaction with bread and butter, or bread and milk, or bread and cheese. They named their strange house Home for Tramps and printed this title in fancy lettering inside the car. One day Jess began to teach Benny a little arithmetic. He learned very readily that two and one make three. I knew that before, he said cheerfully, but it was a different matter when Jess proposed to him that two minus one left one. No, it does not left one, said Benny indignantly. It left two. Why, Benny? cried Jess in astonishment. Supposing you had two apples and I took one away, wouldn't you have one left? You never would, objected Benny with confidence. No, but supposing Watch took one, suggested Jess. "Watchy wouldn't take one neither, said Benny, would you, doggy?" Watch opened one eye and wagged his tail. Jess looked at Violet in despair. What shall I do with him, she asked. Violet took out her chalk and printed clearly on the outside of the freight car the following example. Two minus one equals... Now, Benny, don't you see, she began, that if you have two things and somebody takes away one, that you must have one left... I'll show you myself, agreed Benny finally with resignation. Now, see the two? He actually made a respectable figure two on the freight car. Now, here's a nice one. Now, supposing I take away the one, don't you see the twos left right on the car? He covered the number one with his chubby hand and looked about his audience expectedly. Jess rolled over against a tree trunk and laughed till she cried. Violet laughed until she really did cry. And here we come to the first unpleasant incident in the story of the runaway children. Violet could not stop crying, apparently, and Jess soon made up her mind that she was really ill. She helped her carefully into the car and heaped all the pine needles around and under her, making her the softest bed she could. Then she wet cloths in the cool water of the brook and laid them across her little sister's hot forehead. How glad I am that it is time for Henry to come, she said to herself holding Violet's slender hands in her cool ones. Henry came promptly at the usual time. He thought she had a cold, he said, and this seemed likely, for Violet began to cough gently while the rest ate a quick supper. We don't want to let her go to a hospital if we possibly can help it, said Henry, more troubled than he cared to show. If she goes there, we'll have to give her name and then Grandfather will find us, surely. Jess agreed, and together the two older children kept changing the cool cloths on Violet's aching head. But around 10 o'clock that night, Violet had a chill. She shivered and shook, and her teeth chattered so that Jess could plainly hear them. Apparently, nothing could warm the little girl, although she was completely packed in hay and pine needles. I'm going down to Dr. McAllister's, said Henry quietly. I'm afraid Violet is very ill. Nobody ever knew how fast he ran down the hill. Even in his famous race, Henry hardly touched his present speed. He was so thoroughly frightened that he never stopped to notice how quickly the doctor seemed to understand what he wanted. He did not even notice that he did not have to tell the doctor which way to drive his car in order to reach the hill. When the car reached the road at the base of the hill, Dr. McAllister said shortly, stay here in the car and disappeared up the hill alone. When the doctor returned, he was carrying Violet in his arms. Jess and Benny and Watch were following closely. Nobody spoke during the drive to the McAllister house as they flew through the darkness. When they stopped at last, the doctor said three words to his mother, who opened the door anxiously. The three words were, pneumonia, I'm afraid. They all heard it. And that's the end of this chapter. Good night.